Praise you, Lord Jesus. So I'm going to read from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. I'm going to read uh, from the ESV version, first of all, but we'll work through the Amplified version, in a sense. So Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. There it is. <laughs> and to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and what you heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So each week we've been hearing that phrase at the 6 p.m. service. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Amplified version, which I like because it sort of spreads things out a little bit more, it begins with verse 1 of chapter 3, and to the angel or the messenger. So angels are messengers, and there is a messenger for each of the seven churches in this scenario. To the angel or messenger of the assembly, the church in Sardis, I really like calling it the assembly. Hello, Richard. I really like calling it the assembly because that gives me a picture that Christ is talking to his church and his church is one thing, one body, one movement. It's one. And this is an assembly in a place called Sardis. It's a part of the church of God. So to the angel, the messenger of the assembly or church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Holy Spirit and the seven stars. What's that talking about? The seven spirits of God? At the beginning of each um, message to each church, Christ is described in a different way. So in this one, he's described as the one who has the seven spirits of God. Sardis needed to hear this expression of Christ. Sardis needed to hear the seven spirits of God, that expression. Not like, say, the one next week, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. That's what you're going to hear next week. But here, he is the seven spirits of God. 
Where do we find that? We find that in the book of Revelation, again, chapter 5 and verse 6. Chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Holy Spirit, who have been sent on duty far and wide into all the earth. So these seven spirits of God and that picture of who Christ is representing are sent into the earth for a purpose by God. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, it describes them as this, and the spirit of the Lord, that's number one, shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. There are the seven spirits. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. All of those seven are speaking to the church at Sardis. Seven speaks of the number of completeness and completion, doesn't it? Wholeness. So what I saw here is that completeness is speaking to the incomplete church. Every spirit there, complete and whole, is saying to Sardis, you are incomplete. Have we convinced ourselves that we've made it? Have we convinced ourselves that we know it all already? That we're settled? That we don't need to be taught anything anymore? Are we like them, incomplete, yet we think that we're complete and that we're whole? So what's the real charge against the assembly at Sardis? What, what, what's the problem here? Again in the Amplified, same verse 2, I know your record and what you're doing. You are supposed to be alive, but in reality, you're dead. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Job 28, verse 24, says, For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Those two scriptures tell me that God doesn't miss a thing. And he says to the church at Sardis, I know your record. I know what you're doing. I've seen it. I found you out. How many times have we done things that we shouldn't do and we forget that God is watching all the time? We've said things with our mouths that we shouldn't say. We've thought things in our minds that we shouldn't think. We've carried things in our heart that are so hidden that we think God can't get to the depths of those things. And here they were in Sardis, fooling themselves that all that they were doing wasn't being seen, but God saw it all. And the accusation, you are supposed to be alive. You look alive, but in reality, you're dead. So, I'm going to read a little bit from the ESV, the Bible helps bit. I like reading up on, you know, just expanding the meanings. 
And so it says, the church in Sardis was spiritually lifeless. So we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about lifelessness spiritually. With only a few of its members remaining faithful to the true message of Christ, outwardly it appeared alive and active. And it had a reputation of success and spirituality. Everybody get down to such and such a place because that's where God is, even though he wasn't there. But the church was actually relying on past experiences. How many of us live on the past experiences? The moment we first heard God and we're still telling somebody, 20 years ago, God said to me, and we're sitting on that one experience that's kind of had its day. So we have no new experience with God. I'll, I'll, I'll out myself this evening. <laughs> so I was speaking to a friend of mine that was a really good mentor. We'd gone on a mission many, many, many years ago. And I was reminding him of what took place on that mission and how exciting it was for me in life. And all he said was, hmm, that was a long time ago. Wake up. Where are the new experiences with Christ that he's waiting to bring to us? We sang the promise of your presence will always be enough, but who is seeking his presence, really? Are we coming every Sunday because it feels good? It's great worship, great word. And then we go home. Because inside, we're not yet. We're not yet there with the Lord. Sardis was in trouble. We keep going back to those days, how my church moved in power. But it stopped moving in power, and we haven't realized it. So let me go back to what I was reading. It may have had what seemed to be effective ministries and a dynamic form of worship, but not the true purity and power of the Holy Spirit. The church's reputation may have fooled a lot of people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out myself again. Somebody called me some weeks ago and said, listen to this, I've had such and such church elsewhere, and God is really there, God is really moving. And so I listened online, and I was really bored. That's all I'm going to say. So the church's reputation may have fooled a lot of people, but Jesus saw the inner lives and the hearts of the people. He saw a form of religion, but not true spiritual life. I look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. It simply says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power... Avoid such people. Paul wasn't talking to uh, people who didn't know Jesus Christ. He was talking to the church. Avoid people in church who appear to be godly. But the power of God is not effective and at work in their lives. And maybe we're sitting here today, maybe at home and saying, is that me? Where's the evidence of the power of God in our lives? Where's the evidence of his presence? Are we like Sardis, appearing to be alive, yet dead? 
those who claim to be Christians in this scenario in 2 Timothy seem to be doing the right thing, but they have no authentic relationship with Jesus. And they don't realize it. I'm, I'm on something at the moment. I'm chasing Jesus Christ. I want a relationship with him. I don't want a relationship with Pastor Corinne or Pastor Jacqueline at the moment. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ that will fulfill me and cause me to have fantastic relationships with them. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sardis didn't seem to be looking for the presence, the presence of Christ. Do you not ever ask and talk about looking back, but I do look back at history. I ask questions like, why was Smith Wigglesworth the way he was? Or Maria Etta Woodworth? Or John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I die? What was it they had that I don't have? They were alive to Christ. They were alive to Christ and his presence. So they could hear him. What he wanted them to do, they did it. They didn't necessarily do what they wanted to do. They did what he wanted them to do. And they lived incredible lives for him. Some of us, we kind of cut ourselves short, I believe. So verse 2, so that I go through more quickly than I've been going through. Again, in the Amplified, it says, rouse yourselves and keep awake, or in other words, wake up, and strengthen and invigorate what remains as it, and is on the point of dying. So Sardis had an opportunity. There were still some things that remained, but they were about to die if they didn't wake up and repent. If they didn't wake up and say to God, I've changed my mind. They had to wake up. It's so much like move quickly before that bit of God which remains dies. And then there is no hope if the last shred dies. There must have still been a glimmer of hope and life if the church turned from their own way and back to God, obeying what he had shown them in the past. The condition of the church in Sardis should prompt churches and individual Christians today to ask, Are we coasting spiritually and relying on our our image, our traditions, our past experiences? Or are we genuinely, genuinely alive and growing spiritually? Is it really real? Is something different happening every day with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you getting to know him just a little bit more than you did yesterday? Do you feel closer to him just a little bit more than you felt yesterday? Is your awareness of him just a little bit higher than it was yesterday, every single day? 
It was terrible when he said, still in verse 2, for I've not found a thing that you have done, any work of yours, meeting the requirements of my God or perfect in his sight. How sad it is that we could be doing so much every single day. Each different assembly that meets around London and meets around the UK and meets around the nations of the world. We could be doing so much every day and God still says, I haven't found a thing that you've done meeting my requirement. Because we're not listening to him. We're listening to what we want. I'm going to call it out a little bit. We're listening to the visions of man. We're listening to man-made things. I'm talking about the church worldwide. You know, the church, we'll listen to what the agendas are today in the world. How can we meet it? How can we match it? How can we shape ourselves around it? Christ is saying, shape yourself around me. So verse 3 says, So call to mind the lessons you received and heard. Continually lay them to heart, obey them, and repent. I ask us, there's still time. There's still time that we should individually repent that we should change our minds, that we should return to God, that we should turn to him and not to man like Sardis was, just floating around thinking we're great and they were not. It's easy to get caught up in church life. I work for the church, I know. I'm being honest. We can work at our jobs, and work for the church, and volunteer for the church. We can get out on the streets every day and evangelize because we want to preach the gospel, and yet we're doing it in our own power and in our own strength, and it just becomes our routine. Instead of, where do you want me to go today, Lord? What do you want me to hand to somebody? Oh, not this same leaflet I've been handing out every week, every day. Or you have a particular scripture for this person, a word of knowledge here. What is it you want me to do in my workplace differently than I've done before? Because somebody in my office has needed Christ for so long and I didn't realize. But now I'm waking up and you're showing me. So show me how. Show me how. Do we want to not just experience the Holy Spirit, but hear and obey what he's actually saying? Carrying on the scripture, in case you will not rouse yourselves and keep awake and watch, I will come upon you like a thief. Poor Sardis. And you will not know or suspect at what hour I will come. The consequence being, if I stay in the camp of non-repentance, if I stay in the camp of being asleep, when he comes, I won't even know, and it will pass me by. But look at this in verse 4. Yet you still have a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, and they shall walk with me in white because they are worthy and deserving. Are we going to slip over into the presence of God? and slip away from distraction and routine and religiosity and self and churchiosity as well 
is true. My responsibility is to not leave you the way that you come in. In order for me to do that, I have to be doing something with God first. I can't take you anywhere I haven't been. And I am going somewhere. But don't come with me. Come to him. Come to the presence. Come to the presence. So there were a few in Sardis. They hadn't soiled their clothes. They walk with Christ. They walk with him in white. He even called them worthy and deserving. There was hope for them. Hmm. Throughout church history, there have always been a faithful few, often referred to as a remnant, who have not soiled their garments with sin and unfaithfulness to God. Instead, they have remained spiritually pure, devoted to Christ, not to man, and committed to his original message as passed on through his faithful messengers throughout the New Testament. So I hope you've retained what you've learned about each church each week, and maybe you'll go back and you'll read, but today, we don't want to be dead. We don't want to be dead. We don't want to be dead in past works. We don't want to be dead in what's happened before. We don't want to be dead in what's happened today even. And yes, we've had a great day and we've had great church, but where is the great presence and power of God? We don't want to seem godly. We want to be godly. We don't want to be dead like Sardis. We want to be alive to Christ and to his presence. I saw some scriptures that I really loved because um, I was just thinking as I was preparing that I am my beloved's and he's mine. And so I looked at the song of Solomon, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, and it said, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And he grazes among the lilies. And the song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10 said, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Do you want the Lord's desire to be for you because he calls you beloved? In Matthew 3, 17, he spoke of his son, Jesus Christ, God did, and said, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Are we his beloved children? Or are we dead like the church at Sardis? He who is able to hear, let him listen to and heed what the Holy Spirit says to the assemblies. Are we able to hear this evening? Are we able to hear and listen to the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, instead of our thoughts, our minds, our plans, our tomorrow, what the church says we should do, what the government say we shouldn't do? Are we able to tap in inside ourselves as individuals? If we wake up to the realities of the essence and presence of God individually, the whole body of Christ will be one, waking up to the essence and the presence of God. And then the world changes. It doesn't change because we take banners and we go before Parliament and rap, you know, and get angry and annoyed with them. There's a place for all of these things, don't get me wrong. But that doesn't change anything. It is only the presence of God that changes anything, ever. There's a song that says, when I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all things that surround me become shadows in the light of you, when I found the joy of reaching your heart, when your will becomes enthroned in my life, 
when all things that surround me become shadows, when everything in my life becomes a shadow in the light of Christ, then I worship you. And you are the reason I live, and the reason I live is to worship you. I say again, will we be like the church in Sardis, where we seem alive, but God says, you're dead? Or will we come to the presence of the Lord and say, what do you want? How can I meet you and know you? How can I listen to your voice and obey you and not be like Sardis?